0: Riech Und Ehre, was ich dir noch angesäche. So bist du sie alle Ehre. Was ist? Wohl
1: is the new right a podcast for the lost arts reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen this is matt pegas
2: and this is dan baltic
1: and we're here today with tr hudson um who you know th- this is new right podcast and tr hudson is a new writer or at least new to our sphere he uh kind of broke through back in august of 2021 and, and by the way tr you can correct me i don't know if you may have had it a previous Write any previous writing before that, but I, I, you know, we first sort of came across you. Well, not quite in August 2021, but I know that your your first major story was your John Henry story uh, in August of last year, which Zero HP Lovecraft retweeted. Uh, And my understanding is that's kind of how you uh, first got your name out there. Uh, And then since then, you've been um, continuing to publish stories on your Substack. Uh, and perhaps most importantly, and one of the major things we're going to discuss today is that you published your first novel, Automaton, um, in, you know, January of this year, last month, uh, which, uh, came out on Amazon, um, and has gotten very, very good reviews, uh, more, more support from the likes of Zero HP and Lomez, um, and you seem to be, uh, you know, gaining more and more followers, which is fantastic, um, but, Yeah, no, I've read. um, I read Automaton. We read Automaton in advance of the show, and I I also dug through your Substack. A lot of great work. uh, But TR, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me,
3: guys. Uh, Thank you for having me, guys. Uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So so, John Henry was my first story. I published that in August of 2021. uh, Just kind of on a whim, I'd written it a while back and had it sitting on my hard drive um zero hp lovecraft had done a podcast with iron mcintyre
0: uh, mm-hmm.
3: uh, he's gonna he's gonna be mad that i butchered his name <laughs> <laughs> i think uh, that's right yeah, yeah Aaron mcintyre uh they did a podcast together and zero was just you know he seemed like a guy he seemed like some dude uh i'd never heard of him before but he was talking about fiction and writing and how to write non-cringy right-wing fiction and I thought I could do that. And then I just I DM'd him one day on Twitter. I created a Twitter, DM'd him, I told him I'd read some of his work, which was true, and that I liked it. We talked about Borges because he'd mentioned that Borges was a big inspiration for him. Uh I personally uh can't can't understand Borges. I've read a few a few pieces, but he's very dense. Um But there were there were a couple pieces like um, "Free Lives" of Judas uh,
1: is yeah.
2: Borges has some great stuff.
1: Yeah, another writer
2: of the right, of course. Yep, yep, and
1: he's an interesting one. Yeah,
3: and I you know I talked to Zero a couple times, asked him for some pointers on writing, and then one day I was like, hey, I got this story, I'm gonna publish it. You mind giving it a read? And he was very gracious. He read it. He gave me some notes actually he said that he really enjoyed it and that he wanted to you know uh, put it out there for people to see uh he's been a very good friend uh since i since i joined twitter and yeah no it, it's funny he said that that bap would do the same things when when bap had his uh account that he would you know try and boost other people up so he was trying to kind of pay it forward in that regard and I've tried oh, to do yeah. that myself, though, in obviously a much
1: <clears throat> smaller way. For sure. No, it's it's a good way to be. And obviously, you know, Dan and I don't have huge accounts either at this point. But, it, you know, a big part of what we're trying to do here is, like, boost boost anyone to the degree that we can. And, yeah, I do think there's a really good currency. I shouldn't say currency because that sounds mechanical. And fake and gay but like there's a there's a good uh like system of people with specifically within that like bap zero hp for lack of a better term frog twitter sphere where um yeah you know people people are all about sort of boosting other people um i I can't say bap ever like boosted me per se but like even me with a tiny account i'm i i have dm'd with him which is pretty cool like a lot of these guys will you know interact with you which is which is pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah.
3: I think one of the things about like internet celebrity that people kind of, especially when your face isn't out there and people can't really like interact with you one on one, people think that, oh, he's kind of like a Kardashian or he's kind of mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, Tom Cruise or whatever. I can't go approach him. No, most of the time it's just people.
2: Yeah. Exactly. And Bap would just follow people who, you know, he liked and like my old nuked Twitter account um yeah that just followed me one day and i was like oh wow that's uh it's pretty fucking cool
1: yeah no totally like and i i try to follow most accounts back too i think it's it's the better way to be like obviously we're all trying to achieve whatever degree of status but like being willing to be like a team player um is pretty pretty valued i think in our sphere which is neat
3: well i mean you know you there's constant attack from one direction. You don't need to get attacked from the other direction, too.
1: I know. Exactly. And, you know, I, I don't – I try – I hate, like, online fucking drama stuff. But, like, you know, you see this stuff break out between – The Achilles
3: stuff was funny, though. That was – Oh, uh, I guess it, I, you know, <laughs> it
1: was pretty funny. I was kind of tuned out. I try to mostly tune out. But, so I don't want to wait too far into drama. But at the same time, it's like um, that whenever I see people – and I'm not even – I'm not talking about the Achilles thing, which was funny. But, like, um, you know, these, these broader beefs that break out, it's like, why, why waste so much energy going after people who, like, mostly agree with you uh, when, when there's, you know, when there's so much more of a concrete enemy or, you know, to, 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 um, you know, to struggle with in, in real life and in, in, in real politic? Uh, it just doesn't make sense. I think it's just human nature, people. You know i feel the need to have these squabbles but you know i, I, I much think, prefer the collaborative mode
3: yeah no I, I definitely prefer that as well i think it also has to do with the fact that uh inadvertently or you know or not we're in an echo chamber sort of right you know the leftists they don't interact with us you know block right away and we block them right away um so all we have is each other so of course that's where the fighting is going to begin because That's the content we're actually seeing. Yeah, of course.
2: The leftists are basically NPCs because we don't interact with them. And for good reason, because you could be doxxed, you could be whatever. So the only real people in our sphere are the people in our sphere. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And at the end of the day, like anything else, um, and it may be regrettable at times because I do think the collaboration is better. But at the end of the day, it is sometimes it's a squabble and a struggle for you know status online, and I think that's where a lot of it comes from. But right.
3: it's like I know that my next big you know boost is going to come from my takedown of Nutcranker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm
3: just going to After... dra- drag it through the mud and then, <laughs> that'll make you me famous.
1: After you already dragged Dragon Day on your Substack. <laughs> <laughs> no i'm
2: just kidding. as long as he gets me headlines yeah. oh i, uh, we'll, we'll, I did we'll box um... in real life dan <laughs> but yeah, um... no, no no i review... like dragon day
3: a lot
1: yeah 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 and I, and I and i liked your review and to whatever extent there were criticisms i i did appreciate them um that definitely a, a good one of your non-fiction entries into substat it's kind of cool how you have you have, like, maybe six or seven short stories on there, and then you also have a couple really good nonfiction pieces, which is neat. That's kind of the direction I want to take my substack, I think. I mean, um, I mean
3: it's tough. Know, a lot of the stuff cool that with... I have on there is stu- like, stuff that I had written a while ago, and then I'll just touch it up. Um, yeah. I've, I've been writing for a few years now,
1: and I just never I figured as much. There. Yeah, yeah, no, you don't seem like a beginner writer, even if you're kind of first... Coming into to like our sphere now, like obviously there's kind of a polished craft there, which I guess um, I can pose it as a question. Um, if you want to talk, talk about a little bit about, um, uh, you know, how, have you are you someone who's had literary aspirations your whole life? Kind of what's your what's your journey there of like wanting to be a writer, and what are some like formative literary? influences and you know how did this how did you as a writer come to be
3: i am very late to this game uh it is a very recent love and obsession and i think it i think it has become an obsession at this point Mm. uh i i watched a lot of tv growing up didn't read much um but i always enjoyed stories uh people told me oh you're good at telling stories like i could tell like a long norm mcdonald joke um and you know it'd be engaging and i wouldn't fuck it up (laughs) and um but but yeah i I went to college i started actually reading i took a couple of writing classes a few english classes and i was like oh okay so this it's not just harry potter and the, the sorcerer's stone or whatever like there's actual substance to be found and because, I mean, I'd read nonfiction stuff. Like, I have a, a bookshelf full of just, you know, everything from World War II to philosophy to just mm-hmm. uh, Pat Buchanan, Bap, and, and everything mm-hmm. in between. Um, so, I was like, oh, fiction's kind of pointless, whatever. That's eh. And I fell in love with it in a college class, and I just wanted to add to it i fell in love with the western canon specifically yeah and i thought okay my aspiration is to to join that to to write something that in a hundred years they'll be teaching classes like and then tr hudson wrote this (laughs) and that's added to the conversation in this way and blah 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 and well, I don't, dude, I don't think...
1: it, yeah, it comes across, and not in a bad way, like it comes across in a good way that you you have that ambition. I mean, a lot of what you write, I can really feel the influence of a lot of Western greats, and specifically American greats, I would say. Um, and we're, we'll get into some of them on this show, whether it's Cormac McCarthy. Um, I see Jack London influence, maybe even Steinbeck. Um, you, you Funny channel... you say that
3: um haven't read much jack london but grapes of wrath is definitely in there
1: yeah well and we'll get to automaton and the grapes of wrath influence is pretty clear very interested to know that you haven't read much jack london because i could see that either way like i wasn't sure if he was like a direct influence or if you just were kind of writing about some similar themes independently um but specifically in the john henry story which i guess for our listeners we never we didn't exactly lay it out so maybe we should should get into to what that story is all about Uh, but um especially
3: given what's going on in the news these days
1: yeah no 100 percent. but uh i'll preface it by saying um that i i felt as if jack london was like all over that story but again it, it doesn't like shock me that you haven't read much london because one could come to these themes independently, but nevertheless, um, I think it's a story that Jack London would have liked. But uh, why don't you, uh, if you don't mind, um, just uh, kind of summarize real quick what uh, what the John Henry story is all about.
3: Sure, sure. And uh, just first, uh, Jack London uh, is somebody that I want to read. Definitely he's on my list, but... I feel like you read Jack London more when you're younger, and like I said, I didn't really read much as a kid. Um, but oh no, I hear you. It's one of the things one of those things that I definitely want to pick up. Uh, I I, I
1: don't even think I've read Call of the Wild. I, I've read like The Iron Heel and a few of his short stories. It's it's I, you know I um I was gonna say I was actually gonna riff off of what you said. I'm kind of similar. I wasn't a big reader as a kid either. I got into it much later. So I think it's a fairly common experience for a lot of like males in our culture, uh, which could be a whole nother topic here. I mean, like you go to the library to story time, whatever it's like, it is a little feminized. And I feel like a lot of, especially guys kind of get turned off of books and a lot, you know, a lot of, a lot of teachers are female. A lot of librarians are female or spiritually female. Shall we say the uh, books we're
2: given are books that are feminized books. We're not given the call of the wild as, you know, a child in grade school were given, like, you know, I don't know what exactly. I mean, yeah, I remember I'm in high school to, getting Riley feminist gift. I, yeah, I literature being and in what book, have you.
1: Yeah, being in book clubs, like, even as a young teenager, and it was all, like, female protagonists, this, that, and the other thing, which, not necessarily bad books, but at that age, you want something, especially as a kid, when there's all the, and especially now with the internet, it's probably even worse, like, when there's all this great TV and Pokemon out there, whatever, like, yeah, why are you going to... It just seems like a very girly thing. So, like, I I, share that experience, really. I didn't, I got into literature, like, first pretentiously, perhaps, as, like, a 16, 17-year-old. And then in college, it became a more uh, genuine love. But uh, that, well, we, we won't go too far into the society other than to say, you know, it's relevant to some topics we talk about here. Right, right. You know, literature and masculinity don't always seem to go hand-in-hand in, hand in American culture. And it's kind of, you know but reclaiming. they used to we got to reclaim and we are
2: the space. reclaiming yeah. the literary holy land as they say yeah i got as i, got, I got
3: something cooking in the background we could talk about later that's kind of related to that great um but but, but uh yeah, john uh, yeah, henry here, yeah. right so john henry is the story of a truck driver who loses his job to automation mm-hmm. uh you know a a multinational corporation uh, much like Amazon or Tesla or, you know, like s- something kind of in between uh, buys a small trucking company, decides, hey, we're going to launch our fleet of uh, auto- autonomous vehicles. You guys are fired. Too bad, so sad, sorry. Uh, and then it's just the story of this one man who has a choice to make, he can either, you know, uh, betray his comrades, his fellow workers, his friends, uh, and work for this company as like a consultant, you know, cause there's, you know, some interplay between him and his boss. Uh, they have a pretty good relationship or he can, you know, stand and try and do what's right, but it comes at great personal cost.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah. And
3: yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a pretty good summary. Yeah, of no, we don't want to without going into
1: we, we don't want to like, many the details. Spoil um, the um, Johnny. but John Henry, of course, being a reference, was John Henry was was the real John Henry a real person or was it always a work of fiction? I should know
3: that. I think I,
2: it was it a, apocryphal. Yeah, it's apocryphal. I, I think yeah. it's
3: like um, it's probably more like Johnny Appleseed. Like I think there was a John right. Chapman, but um,
1: right. But of course, the story there is you know at the advent of whatever track laying technology you know john henry was apocryphally set in a race against you know a, an automated track layer as a builder of railroads and you know it comes down to a race and i believe in the story john henry ended up winning but then dying of exhaustion or perhaps yeah yep, he, he
3: drove so hard that he broke his heart and he laid down his hammer and he died
1: yeah exactly so Funny of the things to, you remember <laughs> yeah yeah to, to whatever extent that mirrors what happens in your john henry story well people will have to read to find out uh, but, yeah yeah you know, it's that idea and yeah i know it's an excellent story i say jack london and again my main reference being this somewhat perhaps lesser red jack london more adult oriented jack london i guess um called the iron heel which is kind of this uh, it's been a while since I've read it, but it, you know it's written in, I guess, the th- probably the 30s. Uh, and it's sort of this weird proto-science fiction, proto-post-apocalyptic speculative political novel. A little bit like Automaton, which we'll get to just in terms of that sort of setup where it's like a near future. And um, there's this interplay between um, big corporations and sort of new governments. Again, I... I um, I only I, I only mem- remember snippets of the Iron Heel, but but one of the major things I remember is there's this protagonist called uh, Ernest Everhard. If you could come up with a more like <laughs> uh, uh, I don't even know what, what you'd say uh, on the nose name <laughs> for um, a masculine type of hero. Uh, but Chad he's a social, Thundercock. Yeah, exact exactly, Chad Thundercock. <laughs> Um, but he's a, uh, he's basically a socialist or like a working class hero type in in London's novel. And Jack London himself was, of course, and is remembered as a socialist, although he also had, uh, fairly masculinist and fairly racialist views, so do with that what you I mean,
2: as did many people during his time. As did many people during
1: that time. Um... But everyone was
2: red pilled in the '30s. Exactly,
1: um, there wasn't this whole like social, social dimension of leftism yet, um, and rather the focus was on economics. So, so London in in, in the Iron Heel and elsewhere, and perhaps in his own life, sort of uh, embodied or, or and wrote about these very masculine working class type heroes. And I do think that I believe his name is Gregory something in in your John Henry story. Um, that he's that kind of hero, you know. He he stands up for the working man against the mega corporation, but is also, but he's not like Antifa. He's not like a bug man. He's the opposite. He's very, you know, he's very masculine. And, well, I don't know. Maybe not very masculine in the case of of your protagonist, but at least you know he he's a guy. He's a man. He's a he's a blue collar guy, and um, I, I see that as a kind of Jack London type of. Of hero and it's it's interesting um, because uh, basically uh, I'm kind of stumbling on my train of thought here but let me collect my words um, Jack London considered himself to be of the left um, but I think there's a real question and, and you know we're seeing it now with the truck drivers in Canada you know, occupying Ottawa or, or whatever, um, where that kind of working class uh, hero of sorts, um, standing up in solidarity with, you know, with his fellow workers, um, they are no longer a force of the left, but rather of, you might say the right, or, you know, you might say something more populist or nationalist, and it's this interesting political change. Uh, and Dan and I were kind of talking before the show, like, yeah, when, when London was writing The Iron Heel and his other work, there wasn't this whole kind of social dimension of what leftism has become. So maybe it made sense. Like this is the, the you know, if you're going to stand against the corrosive powers of big capital and mega corporations, you know, you're going to be of the left. But I really think that that has now totally changed and it's the, you know, the more national populist side. Um, so I feel like I'm kind of meandering here, but um, I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that. Right. Tr. Right.
3: Um, let me, yeah. let me be Tim Poole for a second and say that it's complicated. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, I think what you're seeing in Ottawa, I grew up in a working class household. Uh, my dad actually is a truck driver. So that's, that's what inspired the story. Um, it, it's funny. I was a big Joe Rogan fan for the longest time before I kind of you know fell into the frog twitter or whatever sphere and mm-hmm. then i kind of listened to more based things but right. i listened to an episode of joe rogan where andrew yang was on and right. they were actually talking about automation and that's where this whole thing sort of came from yeah. uh, and you know andrew yang is definitely not a man of the right but i think there is working class people don't care about left or right I care how can I get food on the table how can I be left to hell alone you know culture yeah. worship doesn't really bother me too much and the fact that you have these you know screaming blue-haired sjw's npcs whatever that hell you want to call them yeah. kind of just being there and being a blockade a blockade to them okay that's the enemy now if it were, if it were uh, Pinkertons uh, dressed in whatever and working for big corporations, they'd be the enemy. It's very much, uh, there's, there's no theory there. It's, okay, this guy's attacking me. He's no longer my friend. He's my enemy. Yeah. I must defeat him. Uh, so I think it transcends left and right in that way. And that's kind of how I see politics. There's a reason that I'm not a political blogger or... Uh, <laughs> or YouTuber or something. I just don't have the aptitude for
1: it. Hmm. Yeah, no, Um. It, it's interesting because uh, kind of as you were, you were kind of saying before we were recording, you were sort of saying our podcast is like this too, where we're not really on the nose with politics and rather we focus on, I guess for lack of a better term, uh, you know, building, building the culture. Um, and I think that's definitely, um, very true of your writing as well. Uh, there's one pretty good Amazon review of Automaton out, and um, someone, and oh, I know we haven't really gotten into Automaton, so I won't say too much about it, um, but basically they say, you know, it, it's a, suffice it to say, it's kind of a post apocalyptic or post collapse of the United States uh, set novel. And what they say is, there's you know, there's no element of wish fulfillment in, in the post-collapse scenario you describe in Automaton. Um, it's uh, it's not like the Turner Diaries or something where it's like, <laughs> all this is going to happen, and then like there's going to be a, a race war and blah 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 blah. Not nothing like that at all. Rather, it's this kind of very bleak, somewhat McCarthyian, we might say, look at. Um, at what a post-collapse scenario might look like, and it's devoid of the uh, of really overt ideology. Uh, and the same goes. The same goes for John Henry, uh, and the same goes for, for the other stuff of yours I've read on your Substack. You're you're kind of first and foremost focused on these very human issues, um, and first and foremost focused on them and exploring them and exploring how people respond to conditions they find themselves in and yeah i think you're of the right and i think you're uh you know somewhat somewhat traditional somewhat i mean i won't i won't put you in any box but i do think you're of the right and i think that if you read you can see why you'd be of the right so it's not like there's no politics but the politics are not on the nose um which i can definitely appreciate
3: it takes a lot of talent to be able to write political like like overt political stuff without it sounding ham-fisted like like ben shapiro wrote a novel Uh, and it, you know,
2: famously lampooned.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, there you go. Like, that's all you have to say. Like, I mean, I think that's the problem (laughs) with a lot of modern fiction is that they're political first and, you know, they don't really care about, uh, the work itself and the craft of writing as pretentious as that sounds.
1: Um,
2: yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, crucially in your novel, the division of America in this post-collapse world is not necessarily one that is divided between like the base right and the woke left. It's more nuanced than that, it seems.
3: Definitely, definitely. I, It didn't start out that way. Um, the fr- the original idea is like, oh, it's going to be the, the base guys on this side, and it's going to be the commies on this side, and the good guys are going to win the day. And I think there's a lot of, there's room for that. There, like, there definitely should be more good and evil stories. I just don't know if I have the aptitude to do that yet. Maybe one day. But it has well, to be very say, good in yeah. order to, uh, to work.
1: I, I, it's interesting because Automaton, um, and we'll, we'll kind of get into telling the audience specifically what Automaton is about momentarily and, and encourage them to buy it but uh so i don't want to you know obviously some people may not have the context we're talking about here but automaton is is um a much it's a it's a blurrier reality uh where there's like a lot of people are out for their own interests to varying degrees which sort of um reflects reality in a lot of ways um but it's it's not like a relativistic novel either it's just kind of more yeah it's nuanced but i was actually really struck in john henry that you know it's so hard and this is this also is a little bit where the london comparison comes in. Like, it's been so long, just a matter of decades, since it's been like cool to write like good and evil type stories and to write just like a straightforwardly heroic type character. Um I haven't read much Ayn Rand, and I'm not gonna I, I don't even know how you feel about Ayn Rand. And I certainly <laughs> am not like, I've got gem- her books
3: here, but I haven't yeah. read them. They're they're crisp and new and probably will yeah. stay that way for a while.
1: I appreciate Ayn Rand on a lot of levels, I'm, uh, but I'm definitely not, like, a Randian objectivist or anything. Um, but she often gets dragged for, like, oh, her she writes these ridiculous, like, masculine, flawless heroes and, like, Mary Sue-type characters or whatever. And, like, yes, there's criticisms to be made there, but, like, it's been so long since since people – since it's been, like, cool to write in that, like, mythic vein of, like, this is just, like, a heroic guy doing something great – that um and you know John Henry is more nuanced than that too uh your story but at the same time it was pretty cool to see just like oh this this is a guy making sacrifices to do something right and do something heroic um i i can't really remember the last time i read a story with that kind of leaned into that type of protagonist so much so i so i did appreciate that um right
3: right Henry. and i mean you know, the character is my dad in a lot of ways, right? you know, right. like, and my yeah. dad, my dad's definitely my hero. Yeah. So I couldn't, I, I had to make him look good.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. And, and he did. And, and I think that's, it's cool. There's a, it's not like something fake and gay, like neo sincerity, but rather it's just, you know, it's, it's like good sort of right wing writing because it's like no it, it um I don't
3: even know if you could call it right Yeah, I think maybe, maybe like, not I don't,
1: don't want to because because really bots.
3: I mean this this could be inter like you could definitely read that and say oh this is like a calling card for socialism and oh, yeah. how how the working class needs to rise up and and blah 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 blah, blah. and I think that I mean I definitely mm-hmm. <laughs> see that I'm not if socialism worked i'd probably be not against it you know but it clearly doesn't so you know we might as well just throw that away um but yeah i think i think it it says something that um you know just a guy trying to do the right thing uh which would have you know 100 years ago would have been oh okay yeah you're just you're just a guy doing the right thing now he's he's a hero and uh he's uh exalted over all the bug men who just kind of go along to get along you know and Mm -hmm. i think that's that's why you know 100 years ago the canadian truckers would have been treated like people at a mining town and they would just send in the brute squad and and that would have been taken care of but now these soft like wimpish powers or saying, oh, you better not do that or you're not going to like it. You know, like, yeah. like no teeth behind the threats right. uh, kind of thing is going on. So of course people are going to be gravitated to somebody just saying, all right, stop the nonsense. We're not, we're yeah. not doing this anymore.
1: And I, I think that's, and I, I'll, I've seen a lot of good responses to your John Henry story online. I think one of the reasons people found it so moving is because you were, the simplicity of that. The simplicity of just, this is a guy doing something, you know, doing the right thing. Um, it makes it moving because we're so used to, you know, the anti-hero and this and that. And, you know, maybe Automaton. And there's nothing wrong with the anti-hero. Certainly that's most of what I've written, most of what you've written, Dan. And even Automaton yeah. is a little bit more of an anti-hero. Mm-hmm, definitely. But, but in John Henry, um, you captured something, uh, a, a, a very, uh, something very nice and simple about just a man doing the right Thing And um, you bring up some interesting themes here, too, in terms of like, uh, you know, old old left versus new left. And like, um, you know, the way that that power used to be inflicted versus the way it is now. Now it's and I think this is kind of a view that you may share with our friend Bap uh, in terms of, you know, the way power now being inflicted by kind of these nerds behind computer screens. um, Oh, definitely. Like a further level of degeneracy. I mean, look, I I don't support like old school capitalists coming down hard on unions, but at at least there was like a straightforwardness to that. Uh, But now, yeah, we live in a world where everything is kind of inflicted behind the screen by these people who are like physically weak and grotesque, but like able to manipulate information essentially in order to um you know keep themselves safe and inflict their uh sort of bug man will not to be too on the nose Um uh, but i wanted to highlight another really interesting place you write about this uh is your non-fiction piece and i think it was in um what's that magazine called man's, man's world.
3: world yeah man's yeah. world that was issue five so the, the most world. recent one uh, uh that's that's put out by rye nationalist at baby green oh
1: gotcha Okay, yeah so yeah.
3: he's 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 incredible actually yeah. he, like there's just he's a very talented guy very very gracious person as well
1: yeah i need to read more of his stuff but but your your piece of, what's it called uh but ba- basically it's about two baseball movies you love and two baseball movies you hate right right, right well, it's called right, yeah. uh,
3: manhood baseball and the nerds who ruined both
1: you wanna you wanna just give like the elevator pitch for this piece real quick because I, yeah, I, I thought sure. it was fantastic yeah so
3: so my favorite movie uh, is Field of Dreams mm-hmm. uh, with Kevin Costner based on the book by uh, WP Kinsella. and then another really great baseball movie also based on a book that I love is the natural with uh, Robert Redford and these two books, are about way more than just playing baseball. Uh, the natural is an Arthurian legend in, in America. You know, he has his Excalibur. He's got like the, his Knights of the Round Table. He's touched by God uh, to, to play ball and to bring goodness and light into the world. If to not be hyperbolic, but, but, but seriously, and, What I appreciate about the movie is it takes that very seriously and it handles it with with extreme care. Uh, Field of Dreams is about a man who had a poor relationship with his father who wanted to be nothing like his father and ends up building a baseball field because he thinks that that's what his late father would have wanted, kind of.
0: Um,
3: So it's about fathers. and They're both about fathers and sons. They're both about baseball. They're both about magic in in the best most simple kind of way like not not like what you think of as like magic and witchcraft and like you know what hillary clinton may or may not be doing at the back of a pizzeria uh but you know just like they just you don't make movies like that anymore the cynicism has really uh has really sunk its claws in right and I well, think kind, of, that's kind where... of a little
1: bit, not to cut you off, but a little bit like right. what I was saying about your John Henry story. There's no cynicism in it. I think that's probably the TL, TLDR of what I was trying to say, is there's no cynicism in your I think John
3: there's Henry a little story. cynicism at the end. but Okay, uh... <laughs> there's
1: a lot of cynicism at the end.
3: <laughs> but, that was... to-
1: but tonally, like, yeah, you, you get what right. I'm saying. Right, no, I, I get you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that cynicism
3: is represented in the movie Moneyball. Uh, which was a another book by I think Michael Lewis, right? Yeah, it, by a, Lewis. a non a nonfiction book by Michael Lewis, and you know his whole deal is like uh, math and analytics, and he does a lot of Wall Street books. I think he wrote The Big Short as well, which is also turned into a movie. And I liked Moneyball when it first came out. Like I thought it was an entertaining film, but. After watching Field of Dreams and uh, The Natural, it's like, oh, wow. OK, so this is what they're doing. Uh, it's not enough to be good at something. Now we have to quantify that. Oh, you dude, yeah. you, have to, you have to be put on a scale. And you have to be turned into a machine in a lot of ways. Yeah, like
1: Shit. Wow.
2: Takes the artistry out of it.
3: Yeah, it, it, it sucks the magic out of it.
1: Oh, man. I mean, what's so cool about your baseball essay is that, like, it's such a specific example about baseball and about baseball cinema. And it's, you know, it's this small little piece of reality. But that process you described of, shall we call it, call it the, you know, the magic of the world, the beauty of the father-son relationship, the beauty of baseball, you know, America's pastime, you know rich with... You know associations and images and that is totally destroyed um you know by the this sort of bug by the
3: nerd thing yeah and, it, and, and...
1: i don't want to over like make any over sweeping generalizations but like i'll just you know as i probably do too often recourse to bronze age mindset like that is what bap says <laughs> uh is happening to the entire world and i think that he's kind of right
3: oh no totally i so you found
1: the universal in the particular so to speak yeah Yeah. no
3: and i mean i think i think that's the only way that's the only way that people ever get anything is is if you particularize an idea um
1: it's certainly the best writing
3: yeah it's all about that yeah yep like dubliners is the best uh group of short stories about any place ever and it's very much about Dublin, <laughs>
1: totally, totally.
3: But I don't know. I wasn't even really good at baseball as a kid. Like I kind of sucked. I wasn't very athletic um, until I until I got older and put on a few pounds and some height. But I don't know. It was something. It also it all goes back to me and my dad. It really does yeah. because I listened to the ball game with him on the radio you know because he'd be you know cooking or whatever grilling and that's what that would, that's what was on in the summers um hmm. and it just sucks that I'm not sure I'll be able to have that with my kid um geez yeah. yeah no and I there's a there's a deep sadness in a lot of my work well all of it really yeah I know
1: there is um, um I
3: think the closest I think, I, I think the closest that we have to like a baseball hero these days is like Shohei Otani. and he's you know he's from Japan. He's the Japanese national hero right now. There's no, you know, there's no more Mickey Mantle. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which I mean, maybe Mike Trout, but even he's like a a, a slave to the analytics machine.
1: Jeez, uh, no man. Uh, wow, no, that's like. definitely, definitely gets to the heart of things, you know? It's just, like, you you see that meme, like, I I was reminded of what you just said, like, the the whole, like, meme of, it's like a cartoon boomer, and it's like, I just want to grill, you know? But it's like, there's really something to that, and there's something to the declining quality of life for the middle class and the lower middle class and the working class um, that I think gets to the very heart uh, of what motivates... You know the broader political movement that, as we just talked about, like we're not really trying to talk about politics directly here, but nevertheless, like you know, we're tied into that. You know, the Trumpian moment, um, that kind of sadness of that lost, lost past, um, and perhaps lost future, uh, is, I think, really what what motivates a lot of this. And I think your work highlights it in a really visceral way, where it's not really political; it's about these small things uh you know that we've lost and and you're writing frequently both both, i guess both in the nonfiction and fiction because definitely in that baseball essay and definitely in john henry um and absolutely in automaton which i think we can now turn toward talking about more squarely uh, a lot of the uh, moments y- you have some uh, some a lot of your writing uh, fiction is is pretty hard-boiled shall we say like it's about you know automaton is about uh Someone who's in the military essentially at least at the beginning um so it, it you know ties into it's it's you know it's it's masculine and it has to do with fighting and you know struggle but there is some absolutely arresting uh moments of emotional resonance that describe like the just uh d- deep deep sadness of loss um so that's not really a question it's more of an observation but, right right I mean, I, I uh, it's can something I appreciate speak to that. <laughs>
3: Um, What's that? Yeah I, you can go promise, ahead. yeah, I could probably add something to that. So, <laughs> I married a wonderful woman who is quite patient with me, and the main character of Automaton, Michael Connors, is very much me in in several different ways. One of which, I am very good at stonewalling and just turning off my emotions. And that is, that's super difficult for her as somebody who wants to just, you know, connect with me on like a human level. And sometimes I'm just like, no, I can't do it. Like, it's just too much. And I just shut off. Um, And, you know, as part of the inspiration for the book was, okay, what does that guy's life look like in hell? Hmm. Does he, does he thrive in hell because he doesn't have to feel that pain or is he just kind of waiting for it all to be over? Because he's just so much of the same every single day. Uh, and and that that's, that's part of where the book comes from. Uh, yeah. It was originally a much longer work. Uh, John Henry was originally uh, one piece of a much, much larger work. It was gonna have four different POVs. It was wow. gonna span over 20 years and the best writing advice I'd ever gotten was start small. So you want to write a, this Tolstoyan epic? Well, you know, let's start with a short story about one person in one time and place. Um, and I think, and I ended up breaking up the 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 massive story into a, a bunch of different little things.
1: Yeah, because I did notice the tie-in between automaton and john henry being the reference to the corporation deluge um so i kind of got the sense they may be in the same universe
3: yeah and uh i changed the last name so george connors is the protagonist of uh john henry oh sorry i think i said gregory earlier Ah, yeah 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 I don't expect you to have a eidetic I, I memory of all my work, although that'd be cool. <laughs> um, yeah. So George Connors spelled E-R-S and then Michael Connors spelled O-R-S. Uh, there, there was a lot there. Um, I could probably put it out one day, you know, maybe as something else I have over a hundred thousand words what? unused on, on this project. Wow, yeah, That's yeah. Uh, right. a lot. Yeah. yeah. I've been working on this for a while. Uh, but. Three years. Mm-hmm. So it feels good yeah. to just put it out there and then oh, get yeah. to talk no, I, about it.
1: As <laughs> I, I famously, not famously, but as I have said multiple times, I mean, I my book I was tinkering with for for, for way too long. It was good to finally get it out because <laughs> once you start to get it out, there's more of a snowball effect, and people start to read it. And it, mm-hmm. the, doing the next thing is a lot easier after that. Right, I right.
3: I just hope I don't hit like a sophomore slump, but I don't think so because I, I think it's gonna be better.
1: I'm not getting that vibe. It seems like you're pretty creatively like inspired, which is good.
3: Yeah, once I finish this trilogy, because uh, there are two other points of view on the book that, uh, and we can talk about that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But I'm worried about what'll come next. <laughs> but uh, we'll see.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about that later because I definitely, you know, we can definitely talk. We can get into like the the more like writerly commiserating or advice section of the of the podcast at some point. Uh, totally, totally. Definitely stuff to talk about there, about, you know, craft and, uh, you know, habits and whatnot. But um, do you want to just, uh, I know we kind of already have, but do you want to just real quick put into your own words, like, what, what is automaton about? What's, like, the, the two-sentence pitch, you know, yeah. really going by? Yeah. And, yeah, so
3: I think... Automaton, and I wrote a bunch of notes last night after you sent me your um, kind of outline, and I really appreciate that because I'm terrible off the cuff, but Automaton is about navigating through hell. Uh, Michael Connors is a soldier turned bounty hunter. He's lost connection to his emotions and his humanity due to a government experiment, and he's therefore tasked with assassinating a scientist Uh, that lives in california so he has to travel from new jersey to california to to go do that and the east coast of the united states is in total darkness and total chaos uh for reasons that uh, i kind of allude to in the book but also get much like again this was a much larger work at one point so it would have all kind of fit together nicely um so that is to say that I know the, I know the reasons why I have an explanation that's just that character wouldn't know it.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: so I didn't right. know how to yeah. put it in without making it seem like really shitty. Uh, so yeah, so he's tasked with going to kill this guy um, and he has to he has to pretend to be a refugee uh, trying to walk across the United yeah. States with a bunch of other refugees. And he's also doing his best to just try and regain his humanity as he does that.
1: Yeah, no, that's um, that's yeah, a pretty, pretty, pretty obviously because it's your book. Pretty, pretty good summation. And um, yeah, you start off the uh, quote you put at the head is the head of the book is a Dostoevsky quote, um, which is also at the helm of your Substack. I I'm gonna butcher the actual quote, but it's something to the tune of you know man is the creature who can grow accustomed to anything right
3: yep yep i think that's a pretty good summary of it i, I think, think so she's...
1: too yeah go on sorry yeah no
3: uh so i i read that comes from the oh god which one is it i have, i'm staring at my bookshelf right now trying to figure out which book it is um
1: it's not notes from the underground is it it's note,
3: notes from a dead house oh okay so oh, that's interesting that's yeah. um So that's a story about an aristocrat who is imprisoned and, like, sent to Siberia, and he has to, you know, he has to adapt to prison life. Yeah. Uh, And it's obviously very, very, um, you know, Dostoevsky famously was uh, sent to Siberia for a while. He was almost shot, and that was, like, a huge turning point in his life. Um, So, yeah, I've always really resonated with that quote, and I thought that it really, it was a good summary of what I'm trying to write about.
1: Yeah, I think so, too, because a lot of what Automaton is about is about him. Um, Just, again, it's not a super ideological novel. It's a novel about a, I hope not, but in many ways feels like a a realistic sort of post-collapse United States scenario not overloaded with any like ideological wish fulfillment uh but rather just you know corporation controls here some kind of like leftist pseudo paradise over here a a lot of wasteland and chaos in between and Michael Connors navigates this and it's just him it's basically just him trying to survive you know, um, trying to vie with the powers that be who kind of have a certain degree of control over him, uh, you know, and about him sort of in that Dostoevskian way, um, just kind of abiding by reality, a a grim reality. But it's also on a deeper level, not just about um, his external circumstances, but his internal circumstances um, being... A uh, correct me if this is the wrong way of putting it, but like a neurologically altered super soldier of sorts.
3: Yep, yep. No, I think that that's definitely what I was going for.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I
3: leave it. I leave it kind of vague um, intentionally mm-hmm. because he doesn't even know, right, what, what the hell it is that's done to him. You know, it's it's very rare that somebody knows. What's being done to them in the biomedical security state? No, I think um. that's I think that's
1: that's a good way of uh, putting it. Like um, in real life, you know, we don't really know what the heck is going on a lot of the time. So
3: like I got the uh, I have yeah. a pacemaker and it makes my heart go boom boom boom, and then I don't die. That's yeah. that's about as much as people really care to know
2: about certain things. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's... I mean, we don't know what are in these vaccines. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. But, um, what was I going to say? Like, uh, it's interesting that you have, you're saying more writing, you yourself have a more clear idea of what exactly happened to the United States in the world of automaton that led it to be the way that it is. You have more of a clear sense of what happened to Michael Connors than he necessarily knows himself. Um, it comes across in the novel. There is a degree. It's, it's interesting. And I actually like it. You know, I wasn't sure at first I, I felt like I, maybe I was missing something, But after having read the whole book, it's like I think it completely works. Where it's like certain elements of the more speculative (coughs) science fiction um, elements of the book are a little vague, but they're also kind of not really the point. You know what I mean? Like they're they're it's as part of the setup and it's an important part of the setup, but really the the book it's. You could call it science fiction, but it's really not. Really, it's a it's a um, it's more similar to like *Grapes of Wrath* or, to an extent, *Blood Meridian*. And we'll get more into McCarthy later. Um, it's a it's a novel about a pilgrimage. Or not pilgrimage, I guess, has more of a hopeful endpoint. It's a novel about an an immigration from one side of the country to the other. Right, and, right, and, and I elevated. think, yeah, like
3: I. I wanted to do like near future science fiction. So like, you're not going to be dazzled by the, by the stuff that's, that's out there. It's just going to be maybe incremental improvements on the things that we have now, you know, uh, I, early, in one of the early chapters, one of the characters talks about how uh, the ETP or the enhanced training protocol, which is, you know, government's sp- nonsense, the kind of thing that, you know, a government would create and would mean nothing, but say everything um the the neurological change in their heads was actually based on mk ultra you know like and that's i th- i think that that is a logical step that's coming uh when i when i first thought about this i thought okay post-traumatic stress is a big deal right uh, i know a lot of soldiers who came home who are dealing with that and it's awful um so, what is the government solution to that? Well, it's not going to be we're gonna stop fighting pointless wars uh, and you know leave you abandoned and addicted to drugs when you get home. We're not going to stop doing that. That's good for business. Mm. But we are going to, you know give you a little medical treatment and you're gonna be totally fine being you know like a soulless killer and you're gonna come home, you're gonna be able to turn it off and it's like you were never gone at all. Well, what happens when that breaks? That's Michael Connors.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so that's so that's what that is, I guess. That that makes that makes sense. Um, it's sort of the the ETP, which is the way in which Michael Connors is neurologically altered, is essentially a way to distance him from what would be post traumatic stress, and basically, yeah. Um, as we t- kind of talked about earlier, it's one of these elements where, uh, you know some bug man behind a desk comes up with some way to sort of turn us more into, you know, some analytic minded person finds a way to further automate us essentially and become even more mechanically good at what we do. In the, in Michael Connor's case, it's him as a soldier. I mean, is that pretty much something? Yeah. I mean, man yeah. is a
3: creature that can get used to almost anything for better right. or worse, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah. Cause I was gonna, I, I you can, do this to whatever extent you want. I was going to ask you to sort of just because it's not always foreground of the novel that maybe it'd be helpful for people who've read it or people who will read it to just kind of lay out some of the more speculative elements. Um, I think that sums up pretty well kind of what's going on with Michael. Um, do you also want to just put a real quick to whatever and maybe you want to reveal it more in future future fiction, but like what uh what, what how exactly and I'll give my own little spiel on this in a sec, actually, but, like, how, how would you describe the state of the United States post-collapse in your novel? Um, right, because right, First of all, so, just co-sign and say that, like, yeah, it is, you do a really good job of, like, these incremental changes and, like, pretty realistic, like, type of scenario. And it's it's not brought to the extreme. It's like, yes, a corporation akin to Amazon could control, a, you know, a portion of the country if... Um, you know, if there was a collapse scenario. And I also wanted to kind of compliment, like, the uh, the Pacific state paradise or whatever on the West Coast is, like, I like how it's, like, kind of dystopian and kind of progressive, but, like, not that progressive, not that dystopian. It's kind of just, like, shitty. But anyway, I'll let you, I'll let you put it in. Right, words, right. Yeah. And I
3: mean... Like it has, so the PSR, the Pacific States Republic has to be just good enough that people are thankful to live there and not, you know, on the East coast, but just terrible enough that like you, you, you kind of, you could see why you wouldn't want to live there. Yeah. It's just very, very 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 banal. Yeah. Totally
1: banal. And as someone who lives in California, I love, you know, I like living in California. The, The weather here is beautiful, blah, blah, blah. I have, I have my life i you know, it's, I, I'm not complaining about where I live. I'd move, you know, I'm not just going to like heap on California here, but I will say there's an element of what you describe as the West coast Republic. That's like kind of reminiscent, like, no, I don't think I'm going to get sent to a gulag, but like there is this kind of underlying vaguely totalitarian Kamala Harris branded leftism. That's just like in the air that you just kind of have to live with.
3: Right, And it's not even it's not really a gulag, you know, or th- they at least don't describe it as a gulag. It's more, oh, this is for your own good. We have so many homeless people. Let's get them to work. let's get them, uh, you know let's let's help them by you know picking our food for us. you know it's it's like very much this um, there's a lot of justification that goes into the decisions that are made there. and it comes from like this care and safetyism that we see today
1: very very accurate to kind of not just california but just kind of what the whole like um i guess like mainstream branch of i don't know the democratic party or the left especially like with covid like what they're all about is like the it's like soft very soft power and right very i soft mean we have to protect
3: grandma you know right
1: but nevertheless kind of all-encompassing like soft but still pretty intense um you capture that really well. I remember the line, it's toward the end of the novel, because that's when they actually get to California, but, um you know, like, everyone knows everything about everyone in, in the West Coast Republic. Like You can find anything, up to including, like, what kind of porn people watch. Just, like, I guess by, what, Googling them? It, it, it rang true, this kind of soft totalitarianism that I think, you know, with... with I don't, I don't. I don't want to get into COVID of it all. Whatever, but like, yeah, well, There's, I mean, there's like that I, element.
3: I lifted that definitely from uh, Brave New World. So like, yeah, like absolutely. that everyone for everyone kind of thing.
1: Yeah, there is there's an element uh, uh, like the the kind of cult of of health and safety that would seem to want that. It it also I you know I, I can't. I'm not going to speak on something I don't know much about, but I also feel like like in China there's like an element of that and i i think it's a realistic fear for the way things could be going well, Less so, so than like us all getting sent to work camps like right. that seems to be the real so threat.
3: so i think and you know i i didn't i didn't know how we i didn't i don't know how we got here but that makes me think okay how do we replace god because people used to act in a moral way like you know the cynical take is people will act in a moral way if they think that they're going to go to hell for all the sins they commit well, we've killed God, so how are we right. going to make sure that people follow our soft power? Oh, we'll just, you know, kind of nudge them along and take away everything if they don't agree. It's it's the, it's the secular atheist religion.
1: Yeah, no, completely. Um, and it's definitely operative within, again, w- within whatever you want to call it, the modern mainstream face of the left, uh, it definitely is all about inflicting this sort of thing. But But at the, um, but at the know, same
3: time, you know, it's better than hell.
1: You know, it's better than starving right. to death, you know? So yeah, better like, in the case of automaton, you yeah, know, better yeah. than what's going on on the East coast or like in between. Yeah.
3: You know, it's, it's well, and you know, for some, it wouldn't be better. Um, like guys like Donahue, which I know that we want to, we want to talk about him, mm-hmm. but It's really funny. There was, I was going to have a chapter uh, with like a BAP type figure and he'd be, you know, like a horseman on the prairie, just kind of like enjoying life away from technology. But I just couldn't, I, it it felt too ham-fisted and felt like I wouldn't be able to capture it. Right. But I did want to have like a counterbalance of like, no, like you can make a life out here. In in the, the quote unquote wasteland and be happy, but I just I don't know. I'd rather I'd rather write like something like well that isn't super hopeful than something super hopeful that is shitty.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, nevertheless, even if that character is not in there, it's definitely. Um especially towards, like, the middle of the novel, uh, one starts to think about those kinds of themes, like the, uh, the freedom of the, uh, of the wasteland or the freedom of the... What's the word I'm looking for? The open horizon. Um, the freedom of the frontier is the word I'm looking for. Uh, most of your book is not about freedom. Most of it is about... The opposite and about navigating through hell uh but there is a little bit of a glimmer like yeah towards around about in nebraska shall we say (laughs) uh heaven's in
3: nebraska everybody knows what's that (laughs) heaven's in nebraska
1: yeah i mean not exactly heaven because a lot of bad stuff happens in your novel within that sort of middle of the map moment but also because the West Coast is so bad in its own way, and because the East Coast is so bad in its own way, that is the moment that feels the most rife with freedom, the most sort of pregnant with possibility. If you're going to have that Bapian character, I imagine you'd put him somewhere <laughs> yep, around he would there.
3: Have, he would have been around yeah. there. Uh, I just, I, I couldn't make it work.
1: And Yeah, I think it would have been a little bit of a um, digression. Not that digressions are bad, but... But I, but even without the character, I think that spirit is captured. Maybe it's just one monologue from, um, from the character of Donahue. Um, and yeah, no, uh, this might be a good time to sort of touch a little bit on the influence of Cormac McCarthy and a book like *Blood Meridian on you and on automaton. Um, I guess to frame it as a question, do you want to describe briefly, uh, Donahue as a character? Sure.
3: Sure. So, uh um... Donahue is not Judge Holden, Mm -hmm. but he wants to be. Yeah, he's he's Judge Holden. If Judge Holden was raised in modernity, like if he was raised in like the fake and the gay. Yeah. Um.
1: Oh, that yeah, that comes across.
3: He's he's the he's the culmination of our excesses, and you know, in a just and functioning society, you know he would have been contended with a long time ago by like, you know, a strong group of men who would like either, you know, send him out to pasture or, you know, set him right, you know. Um, He's, he's like cancer. He is human cancer, I think, in a lot of ways Um, because he's everything, you know, he has room to grow because everything around him is dead and hollow and just like weak. You know, so he has time to fester and just do whatever he wants. He's like, you know, the evil Ubermensch who can just go around and just flaunt society's values because he creates his own values. But but not not really, because he's just living the opposite of society's values. He's living he's living
1: such cases, as they say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
3: He's he's like a pure sensualist. So he's just doing whatever feels good to him damn the consequences because he's not going to have to pay them. I think, you know, like, but you also can't blame him, you know? You like yeah. you can't blame cancer. Cancer's attacking your body all the time. But your body just usually fights it, you know? Like, society usually excises the Hughes of the world, but when you're old and sick, that's when it takes place, and I think he's... Yeah, I guess he's like, like a...
1: Within the oldness and sickness of a collapsed society.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Also, a hauntingly, perhaps realistic type in what you could imagine happening in a in a post-collapse scenario. I mean, some people sort of quasi some people that are like kind of like uh, in our in our sphere politically. I guess uh, I'm thinking about Jack Donovan, who I like, so I'm not like putting him down or anything. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, he'll talk about. In so many words, because he's pretty good at kind of writing between the lines, but in so many words, he'll talk about, like, you know, the, the potential sort of virtues of a post-collapse scenario where you have these new gangs of sort of men forming, you know, the, the yep. foundation of new I, things. Uh, I, I and read. that, to an extent, too, you know, re and and even, like, me, I can, you know, see where that could be good, you know, basically oh, the foundation totally. of something new.
2: Raising the black flag, as it were. yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, the, the the new age of piracy that we hear about, uh, but the reality Captured, of it would be exactly Well, I. <laughs> oh man, but um, like uh, the reality of it in in some cases, a lot of people do even if they have physical strength as Donahue does, they don't really have that real creative fire to build anything worthwhile, and rather they're just. They're just monsters. They're not monsters who could then become virtuous in some way. They're just sort of lame, sensual. Yeah, no, well, I think
2: crucially, you need a good society to, and, you know, we we discussed how Jordan Peterson popularized that quote that first you have to be able to be a monster, which maybe applies to Donahue in some respects, before you can be good. But in order to be good, you monsters have to live in a good society and have that group of men that are yeah. mentioned to set them straight. Totally. And totally. if there aren't a group of good men to set monsters straight, they just remain there's monsters.
3: there's that 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 thanks for bringing that up, Dan. that one Jordan Peterson um, because you know uh, i I happen to like Jordan Peterson. I know you guys kind of like him too. Yeah. Um, I understand why people don't. Uh, I I I just take him for what he is. Uh, I take the good with the bad, definitely yeah, with him. Totally. But there's the, the the one talk he gave where he was like, you know, who is responsible for floods? You know, when when New Orleans is flooded and the levees break, it's not the flood's fault. It's it's society's fault for for having levees that were so deteriorated that it that their city could be destroyed by a flood. You don't blame nature. And I think in many ways, Donahue is, is just a force of nature, much like the judges, much like, um, Anton Chigurh is, uh, yeah. though to a lesser extent, cause you know, Cormac McCarthy's Cormac fucking McCarthy.
1: <laughs> that, but like that dichotomy is also really interesting. Like to what extent is Donahue judge Holden? and to what extent is he not? Because, um, Judge Holden, you know one of the one of the great villains in American literature. You know he embodies this spiritual evil. It's too simplistic to say he's like Satan. I mean, way too simplistic to say that. But like, you know, he he has this spiritual depth of like representing war and sort of parodying, not parodying, but parroting. You know, it's, it's becoming a mouthpiece for. Nietzsche and Heraclitus who is the father of all um Donahue is a bit like that but you're you you highlight something really interesting where it's like I think some men can follow all the paths of you know liberating themselves from popular morality and making their own laws but still just be on some fundamental soul level or maybe maybe it's because they they aren't they don't. They aren't brought up. You know, maybe, maybe it, is it nature versus nurture? Maybe there's a little bit of both. Uh, they just don't have it in them to be um, either. You know, a monster of the of the sort of fecund depth of, of a Judge Holden. They don't have that in them. Nor do they have it in them to be, um, you know, great great heroes and founders of new things either. They don't have that creative power. I think what I'm trying to say is like. Um, yeah, some people. Uh, some some people just don't have it in them, and it's like, or, or rather, that simply, simply like liberating, simply being on the frontier and liberating yourself from reality. Simply being a pirate is not enough. It's not sufficient. Maybe it's necessary in terms of the foundation of new things and and all this that were you know this kind of Bapian vein of like re-barbarism and the foundation of like new you know civilization like may- maybe it is necessary that we break free of everything but it's not sufficient uh, a lot of people are still just going to be kind of lame bottom feeders and that's and that's not to put down donahue as a character but it was interesting to hear you say that because i wasn't sure if your intention was more like this right. is my judge holden right you were quick you know to say like he's not judge holden he's yeah no 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 and i lame,
3: mean also yeah. i just i also don't think like, I think it'd be the height of arrogance to say that he's Judge Holden um, so I also wanted to you know correct that, nip that right in the bud because um, you know like I have the most the utmost respect for Cormac McCarthy and his writing sure. and yeah. just you know, I'm going to fanboy a little bit but just to hear people make those comparisons you know is like and more satisfying than the best meal I've ever had yeah um i hear you but one thing that i really thought was interesting with donahue is okay let's make this evil monster type character and then he's also he also thinks the protagonist is his best friend yeah what does that say about your protagonist and like what 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 the hell does he do with that and i think at least i try to explore that uh through michael's point of view
1: yeah no it's it's interesting um And and yeah, kind of where Donahue is similar and not similar to Judge Holden is interesting. In some ways, he's a lot, he's more, Judge Holden, it's like, it's not even clear if he's actually a human in a way. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas Donahue is very much a human. You know, Donahue has, there's, he's maybe a psychopath, but also like, you know, you see these moments where he's like, oh, kind of buddy-buddy with Michael, like it's a little, it's a little different. And it's very interestingly explored. Like, yeah, what does that say about Michael? Um... But yeah, no. Again, just the, the where he differs and where where he's similar and where he's different from Judge Holden is interesting. And you sent us a um, very very good review or summary or gloss on Cormac McCarthy by a poster called Astral. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Um, uh,
3: I think he's Est- right now he's Estricos. Uh, he is. Uh, if you read his Substack, he's just he's fantastic in terms of his literary analysis um yeah. you guys would actually i suggest you reach out to him because i know that you like uh, to. david Foster yeah. wallace and he has a lot to say about him as well i think um i was in i was in a thread with him zero and last things and i think last things is trying to poach him so you guys better better get him first uh. just kidding um <laughs> but uh, he, he does a lot of Twitter spaces as well where he'll talk about literature and stuff. I think he and I have been meaning to do one where we talk about Blood Meridian.
0: Hmm.
3: Um, I don't know how much I'll have to add to it because I think he just... He, I think his summation and his conclusions are perfect. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wrote a comment on that post that it reminded me of reading Harold Bloom yeah, uh, because I happened to have be reading uh, Bloom and him at the same time, and then I revisited months later, and I was like, "Oh, some of the lines in here I thought were in Bloom's review." Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely go check out Astral. He is, he's great. He really is.
1: Yeah, Dan, we should try and get him on. I mean, I, I read, yeah. uh, I read the Blood Meridian. Uh, so first of all, I just myself, this is just um, a good coincidence because it is relevant i think to automaton in the discussion today but i just read blood meridian for the first time this past fall and uh, enjoyed it a lot and and then yeah i read astral's um review of it on substack and uh, it was it's a quick read too it's not he like also it's... has a
3: follow-up um oh uh, to, to it yep yep uh, that ties it into apocalypse now actually oh great which is, yeah. and uh he, he he makes the point that if anybody could ever play the judge on in film, it would have been, um,
1: oh, uh, Marlon no Brando. Marlon Brando, mm-hmm. no doubt. That's I've never yeah. thought of that. That's interesting. Yeah, because I because uh, Colonel
3: Kurtz is basically you know the judge in a lot of ways,
1: right up to the physical appearance, mm-hmm. right. Uh, the difference being, and this will tie into what I'm about to say in regard to Automaton as well. The difference, perhaps, being that Kurtz um, in Apocalypse Now slash Heart of Darkness. Let's remember. Also, right, right. also uh, you know um, Conrad's book um, is someone who kind of in theory started off as a normal European gentleman and then was driven crazy or however you want to put it. Whereas again, Judge Holden is this otherworldly. Like, where did this guy even come from? But they, but nevertheless, the end point I do think is similar. And I guess my main observation from. Uh, astral's uh, take on blood meridian uh in regard to automaton is that uh astral's turn of phrase here which is very good blood meridian is a pre-apocalyptic novel it it takes place it's it takes place in the wilds preceding civilization pre-order chaos and um, astral kind of talks about uh you know the the wild animals and the
3: it's interesting that we think that civilization is apocalypse in a lot of ways Um, yeah
1: yeah that's no, exactly so blood meridian precedes civilization of course um is in the 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 slightly more common type of literature which is uh, i don't know apocalypse is a strong word but post post collapse novel and what's interesting is that qualitatively at times the landscape navigated by the glanton gang and blood meridian has some well of course that's in the southwest whereas you write sort of in the like just like the the, the middle midwest or northern midwest but nevertheless there, like there's some qualitative similarities like trudging over this land and the physical hardships but there's also that fundamental difference that one is preceding civilization and one is post-civilization and uh it's this is more of an observation than a question but like the the similarities and differences there too are pretty interesting, because again, qualitatively similar, but there's a something more fundamentally perhaps sad about something following civilization. Um, there's there's le- less hope there, I guess. You know, right,
3: right. Yeah. And I think I think that I think that that nails it uh, that there is less hope in, uh, post apocalypse or post collapse, because, you know, I mean, they what do you have to look forward to? Um, not to, not to get too deep into the weeds, but there are children making this, um, making this journey. There is a pregnant woman making this journey. So there are seeds of, okay, we can rebuild, we can, um, we can we can persevere this is not the end um and you know the glanton gang obviously didn't have have women and children and uh, the ones that were there uh did not last with them very long right Uh, i shouldn't be laughing at that but it's
1: kind of no it's true um
3: and i think i don't know i think it's yeah. It, my book is definitely heavily influenced by McCarthy, but I didn't want to do a retread because Well, no, to, yeah. why, why, why read automaton when you can just read Gormick McCarthy instead, you know, at least, I, you know, except for the fact that my book's all in English and his books are half in Spanish.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Um, again, I, I'm definitely overusing this turn of phrase, but it's like the similarities and the differences are what make it interesting. And I guess, I guess to pose one thing as a question like what, and not to make you uh, project something onto the novel that you almost purposely perhaps left out, but w- within the world of Automaton, like what do you think would have to happen? What would what would a positive rebirth or the foundation of something positive like, what would that have to look like? I mean, you described about this possible character that you didn't end up putting in because I mean, like in Blood Meridian it's like it's easy to kind of think like, oh, they have this intense, wild energy throughout the book, and then the West kind of gets closed off, and then civilization is sort of born. It's kind of, that's a little oversimplistic in and of itself, but nevertheless, you can look at the, the narrative that way. Like, you know, these I are will, the foundations. Uh, I will say to be, like, yeah, to
3: be determined.
1: To be determined.
3: That is, I, I definitely want to put, I wanted to end on a good note. Uh, the, so it's going to be a trilogy of books. I want it to end well. I want there to be something I want people to come away with. Not, a, not, Oh, it's not a happy ending, but at least, you know, things work out kind of in the end. Um, yeah. cause that's, that's, you know, how life is very rarely are there happy endings, but there are endings that you can, you can live
1: with that. You can live with find well, even, happiness and yeah. Um, e- even automaton has a, a small glimmer of hope at the end, I would say, mm-hmm. if I'm reading yep. it right. Though I won't go into any more detail than that, because that's one to leave for the reader to find. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I've been wrestling with this question. I won't go too into the weeds on this, but I published a very, very long Substack article called um, The Renaissance of the Ritual, which is a line taken from Mike Ma's book, Gothic Violence, where I... Um, you know, I, I go to some weird places in that that we that that is not really on theme. But I this haven't podcast, read that yet. I have oh no, no worries. It's long as long as heck. Well worth the read, though. Very but good. Very, very cool. All right, from, no,
2: I'll definitely yeah, go check it
1: out. <laughs> by, by the end of it, it, it's probably not too relevant to what we're talking about here today. But at, at the beginning, one of the themes that I'm trying to wrestle with is the notion of um, what does it take. And this is a this is a, what I would say is like one of the principal. In my view, themes of frog Twitter, by which I mean accounts like Baps, um, to an extent Zero HP, definitely like Mike Ma's Have you read Mike Ma, by the way? Yeah,
3: I, I yeah. read uh, Harassment Architecture because of your episode. <laughs> oh, uh, wow, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I picked it up. Um, it what? is. It. I, I almost messaged you guys because we're in because I put you guys in a group chat so that you'd have to talk to me. Uh, <laughs> um, I. I almost wrote that it was the book that I wanted to write. Really? Uh, yeah. Because I, I was going to um, say, it's like very different. Yeah, not uh, very yeah. different. No, terms. no, very, very different indeed. But um, especially, so like um, my first foray into like the, uh, I guess the, you know, outside academia, outside of the mainstream, outside of what is acceptable is I read uh, Industrial Society and Its Consequences. Ah. Uh. Or industrial society and its future, rather, yeah. by uh, Uncle Ted. And I've just, you know, I mean, you see me on Twitter, I've got the little tree, which means that I'm all about him. And um, yeah, Mike Ma, I wrote him an email actually uh, praising his book because that's, you know, how I meet most people is that I'll just. You know read their work and tell them how much i like it and most of the time uh people like that so they want to be my friend which is cool did he get uh, back to you <laughs> no he hasn't gotten back to me i yeah, have he's, hope he's so uh but yeah, yeah, yeah no so I'm, i I, I, I always i always do it with no expectation that people will get back to me i've just had the luck and fortune that people do um I think that even worked out with you guys where I I I pinged you guys on Twitter and I was like, Hey, I like your podcast. You know, and you're like, Hey, awesome. You guys you're writing a book too. That's cool. You know, and that's that's how this kind of came about.
1: Well Um, Dan and Dan and I get thousands of DMs a day. So (laughs) very (laughs) lucky. Yeah, Yeah, no, I know.
3: I mean, you guys are the the best (laughs) right wing esoteric podcast
2: (laughs) on Yeah, we beat out Alt Right. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I view that uh, as like a major frog Twitter theme. That you know, what what is by frog Twitter? I'm talking about specifically again, like the and Bap had this Telegram message the other day that he doesn't, you know, view himself as like a one man movement or anything. So I'm respectful of that. I'm not like trying to shoehorn anything into like one one singular idea. Or you know, we're all just people posting, right? But I, I view a major frog Twitter theme as distinct from like the traditionalist sphere, properly speaking. And obviously as separate from like conservative Republicans is, um, the notion of trying to think through what, um, the foundation of something new would look like the foundation of new traditions, um, I think is a major theme animating a lot of kind of these more esotericist type um frog twitter accounts and there's a great uh quote that I quote in my substack piece from a uh, bap from one of those publications we were talking about earlier the perian spring i think the first issue mm-hmm. um where he talks about how um basically no one should talk about the continuation of tradition in the West anymore. Like, and we, we by the way, we don't necessarily like co-sign on this. Like, you may have your own thoughts TR. I don't know. And, and I, I'm not like fully endorsing, but I think it's int- the Bappian line on this is interesting um, that, you know, it's basically, there, there's no like tradition in the West is like as a dead thing. The only traditions that persist are somehow compromised or cuckolded, he even mm-hmm. says. Um, they, they are not what they present themselves as. They are compromised by, you know, global homo, as we might say, in some kind of way. And therefore, all thought must be applied towards the foundation of new traditions. But that then adds a caveat to that, which is that even that you can't think about in a straightforward way. Right? You can't just, like, make a Twitter account, like, this is the new tradition and go forth and prosper. Right. We're still in a phase and in an interesting sort of writing uh, in an interesting way, sort of, that sort of shies away from saying what exactly he even means. He leaves some mystery, which is perhaps relevant. Uh, to what we have to do now is lay the groundwork for the very potentiality of a new, you know, the foundation of a new tradition. And what does that look like? um I, I view that as like a major theme of, of a lot of these kinds of accounts, and it's definitely something that animates a lot of my thought. Um, we took a break there. So I'm kind of remembering, trying to remember where exactly that That was exactly this tied into, but, um, but I think it ties in, it ties in definitely to um, the sort of post order chaos of that. You present an automaton and the sort of freedom slash uh, chaotic state following, following collapse and the notion of like, how do, how do, you know, how do you found something new? Um, and I, you know, I view it as, as a theme that a lot of, a lot of people on our side are, are trying to think through. And you said, you know, like I, I asked like, what, um, what would that look like in the universe of automaton? And you said TBD, which is definitely fair. Um, but I, I, guess, will, I will, I will say,
3: yeah, I, I will say this, that I think it is divinely inspired. Hmm. I think that, um, we are. You know, society, civilization, as we know it right now, is at a point that I mean, biblical levels of degeneracy and just awfulness. Um, yeah. And I think um, I don't know. I'm not like one of those. Yeah. I'm not one of those preppers who's like, oh, the uh, uh, it's coming, it's coming. God's gonna, you know, um, save save the righteous and smite the sinners. And I'm not sure right. if that's coming, but I think that, uh, any way out needs to any, any new traditions, any, any way out of the hell that we've kind of created needs to come from God. And that isn't even like Judeo Christian. I know that there's a lot of infighting right now with pagan Twitter and uh, Christian Twitter. Um, so.
1: Right. Well, yeah, no, first of all, I, i do think that whatever the foundation whatever that groundwork for the foundation of something new would have to look like and this is partially what i write my Substack on uh i do think it would have to first and foremost be spiritual or even mystical um now there's there's pitfalls to that you don't want to just become like a weird frog twitter hippie but nevertheless, I love the frog I think, Twitter hippies. I, I do too. But I kind of a guilty pleasure in a way. I, no, I think I, a lot of yeah.
3: I think my problem is that I'll give anybody the time of day. Um, so that leads me down to some very uh, spicy threads on on 4chan. Uh, um, say no more there. But. <laughs> I Yeah, no, I hear you. I, like yeah. I'm just so I'm so cynical and distrustful of whatever's mainstream that I'll listen to whatever the opposite of that is even if it sounds crazy and I'll try and find the, the what what ZHP would call what's spiritually true about something. You know?
1: Oh, no, no. I that's how I've always been with like so-called conspiracy theories is like finding the spiritual truth. I mean, I also like, that I also
3: just know that 9/11 was an inside job, but <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> well, um, again, to 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 plug myself a little bit, like um, this 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 lengthy Substack post I just dropped on the world to little fanfare at this point, but I you know it'll always be there if anyone wants to read it. Uh, well, I'll read it and
3: boost it, man, because I like. it. I, I mean, if
1: you're telling me you're willing to to read anything, like not that it's that crazy, but it's definitely one of the more weird and vaguely sort of mystical or even vaguely new age inspired wavelengths I've ever like gone down and um I just to you know more plug myself or whatever like I think whatever I'm writing next fiction wise I I want to sort of be inspired by some of the themes I start to play with there but to bring it back to the question like what what does the foundation of new things look like I do think You know, and there's always pitfalls to spiritualism because then you just become this, like, priestly person who's disconnected from reality. Like, we got to remain rooted in reality. And, like, there are, like, political goals and whatever that you should be invested in. But nevertheless, like, I think that the first... In my view, I guess, the first step is definitely kind of cultivating that foundational mindset. Um, And perhaps we can just leave it cryptically at that. But um, I do think it's also a theme... Uh, not, not so much, it's not that similar to what I write about in my blog post, but Automaton definitely, when you when you get into that, those um, sort of expansive chapters in the middle where they're in the wilderness, um, as in Blood Meridian, you know, that theme of how everything is sort of founded in, in violence and in the wilderness and in chaos, um, you know, I was reminded of it for sure.
3: Yeah, totally. I mean, like you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? I mean, exactly. you're gonna. The <clears throat> I think the pyramids might be like the only permanent human structure left in like a thousand years, and even yeah. they'll probably just be a mound of sand by then. Um, you. Mm-hmm. Like that, and maybe like a big patch of plastic in the ocean. <laughs> um... <laughs> Right. like, oh God, that's the most depressing thought ever is I that our, I like, if, if humans ever left, our legacy
2: would be plastic. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Really... To bring it to a more optimistic place, your novel and McCarthy's novel are both kind of, uh, in some respects, frontier stories. And I think a lot of what we've been dancing around here is the idea of opening new frontiers. And what, uh, what's your sense of that? What's your sense of uh, both, like, um, literarily, like, to what extent were you inspired by frontier stories? And philosophically, the foundations of new things implicitly involve the creation of a new frontier yeah and i mean that's just such an american concept. yeah
3: i think that is the american idea is is um to go after the next thing uh like uh capital p progress uh which you know is probably is why it's our undoing uh, in in uh-huh. many ways <laughs> Um, but to go to the next place, to do the next thing, to be the first to stand on the moon and to, you know, spit in the Mississippi and then go to California. Um, I, I'm, I'm super inspired by that. Um, I've tried to, well, I don't think it was conscious, but I've lived my life as like, you know, traveling to new places, doing a few new things. And I don't want to, you know, self-docs, but, uh, I've, I've done some kind of cool stuff, I guess. Um, especially having been in the military for a bit. I got to do some cool things.
1: I wanted to ask about that because someone, (laughs) I, uh, you know, I mean, I was going to respect your privacy and not ask that, but it's interesting you bring that up because I, I will, another little plug to automaton is like the hand to hand combat, just like the combat descriptions in, um, in automaton. I mean, they read to me as someone who, who knew.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I mean, I, so luckily um, I never went anywhere super dangerous. Um, I was never in combat. Uh, so anybody who ever was in combat and thinks that my story is bullshit, uh, please feel free to reach out to me and I'll take the book down because I definitely don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to claim anything or, um, disrespect anybody. Cause I do have a lot of friends that have been through hell and, uh, I'd hate to, I'd hate to profit off of that but uh going back to the other point about the frontier one of my favorite books um is called uh, butcher's crossing by john williams Mm. uh he most famously wrote well most famously online he wrote stoner right right, yep yep um which is you know the exact opposite, Uh, Stoner is about, and Stoner is probably my favorite book ever, actually, and then Butcher's Crossing is like a little below that, Stoner is about a a farmer turned professor at a university, and it's like um, his his story and how sad his life is, (laughs) Uh, but then Butcher's Crossing is about a man who, he's at Harvard in like in the 1800s, um, and Emerson himself comes to Harvard and gives a talk about needing to go out and experience real life in nature. And this inspires him so much that he drops out of school and just heads west to this tiny,, um, you know, this tiny butching, uh, butching, that's not a word butchering town, uh, where, you know, traders and hunters will um, sell their buffalo hides. Uh, for you know pretty good money called Butcher's Crossing and he decides okay I've come out this far I want to go out and hunt some buffalo and experience real authentic life and yeah that that book um probably the least well-known of his major works I think it was also his first book but it it spoke to me in he's my favorite writer ever Cormac McCarthy's great but John Williams just does it for me because he understands he understands that not every tragedy is earth-shattering that like they're not these huge events sometimes they are oh I married poorly or um, I'm kind of stuck in the middle of nowhere or you know, there's a, there's a, there's a prostitute who wants to have sex with me for free, but I don't want to do that. And I'm like really struggling with that. He's, and then he also, his books are also so varied because when you have like a, a college book in Stoner, then you have like an old West kind of frontiersman book in Butcher's Crossing. And then his other major work is about Augustus. It's just called Augustus, and that one oh, wow. that won the National right. Book Award.
1: Of... Yeah, yeah, I heard about yeah, that. Yeah, that
3: was that was for a long time his <clears throat> most famous work, uh, and it was you know, a piece of historical fiction. Um, and that's actually the one I haven't read yet.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, so I can't yeah. speak to it much, but he was just so buried and so terrific. We'll have to check him yeah, out. Yeah, definitely, Dan, you do. Um, and that's a long-winded way of saying that yes, I like frontier stories.
1: Hmm. no and automaton you know is very much that it's it's both science it's a it's an interesting thing where it's both a little bit of science fiction uh you know a, a lot of that frontier story and and again like that kind of grapes of wrath like human interest uh maybe human interest is the wrong word but like you know you 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 write emotionally about uh, an interesting cast of characters
3: Thank you. And, Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, no, it's the the book. Um, the book is great and, and brings brings together a lot of a, a lot of these different elements that we've talked about. Um, again, I encourage everyone to check it out and read it and buy it. Um, and we'll of course link to the Amazon page wherever wherever we post this. Uh, one more element of the book that I know we want to touch on quick is: Do you want to talk really quickly about the cover and how that came to be? Yeah, yeah, definitely.
3: So, um, I started working on a cover. A few months back, and I was doing like these stock photos, and they were they were awful. Like it was it was just totally totally inconsistent. And I, uh, you know, anybody who, who knows how to do art, uh, you know, God bless them because I can't. <laughs> I can I can write pretty words sometimes if I'm if I'm on my best day, but I can't do anything with my hands, uh, like that. Uh, zero HP Lovecraft. Sees the cover, the potential cover that I post, and he's like, "Hey, man, we gotta talk. Uh, this is this isn't good." Uh, you know, uh, good friends are like that, where they will they will steer you in the right direction when you're when you're going astray. And you know, we talk for a little bit, and he says, "Okay, I'm gonna post this, uh, basically a want ad for all the artists that might follow him. My DMs were open." Uh, a couple people reached out. I like their ideas somewhat, but um, uh, this one artist, Mike Vinson, uh, at MDVNSN, uh, reached out to me. And he he just got it right away. He understood what I was going for. And one of the thing that made me know that he was the right artist for me was he was like, hey, I don't know you. Um, I need to get a feel for your book. Can I read it? And I was like, "Yeah, man, definitely. I would. I want as many people as possible to read this thing." And he got it. Um, He, I couldn't have asked for a better cover. And um, it's really
1: good, yeah. It's quite striking.
3: Yes, yes. Uh, I had one person say that it asked if it was intentionally supposed to look like George Floyd. You'd have to to ask Mike about that, but now I can't unsee it, and I like it. It it kind of endears itself a little bit. It It endears itself a little bit more uh, to me because George Floyd Super Soldier. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, um, also just wanted to bring up um, that Mike is putting out an nft actually of the oh. cover a variant of the cover that looks awesome he's doing it through kanonic um which is um you know it's a it's an nft site that is also publishing books on the blockchain uh that being said a lost chapter of automaton a lost chapter an unused chapter of the book will be featured uh, with the nft so if you really enjoyed my book if you like mike's art uh, there will be further details on that to come i know he's really excited about it and and yeah i mean i think it, I think it's an awesome project especially if you're into the nft space uh which awesome. I'm, I'm not as much but that's because i'm, I'm a spiritual boomer <laughs>
1: No, I hear you there, but yeah, no, that's that's amazing. People are doing interesting stuff with NFTs. I know Zero HP has to to you know to, to great to great success, and um, it seems I, I'm not in that space either. But like, I guess maybe I should uh, should try and learn more about it. But um, beyond that, and. I, very interesting to me that there's going to be another chapter of automaton release but beyond that uh tr um and this is not by way of conclusion necessarily because we can we can keep talking but um what are uh you know you you published stuff since automaton you've already published a couple more little short stories review of my book i think the baseball piece we talked about has even been released since automaton so you've been busy yeah but um what, yeah, what's what's next for you as a writer? What so, are you up to? So, uh, yeah.
3: hopefully, they announced that I won the Passage Prize. That'd be cool. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, I, I submitted to that, and hopefully at least, uh, you know, whenever that whenever that comes around, people will be able to read that story, whether it's published to their site or um, I put it on my Substack. I I really enjoyed what I put out there for that. Cool. Uh, Billy Pratt, who you've had on the show. Yes uh really? he is putting out an essay collection sometime this summer oh, through yes. terror house i don't know that we might need you we might need to check with him on that whether or not that's like fully announced uh, i think it is yeah, yeah.
1: no we t- i think he talked about that when okay I, i'm familiar with the project i think i was even going to write an essay and i think i might have missed a deadline yeah
3: yeah so really I, I wrote listening. an essay for yeah. that um <laughs> yeah about uh the, the new uh, about star wars the force awakens actually nice and nice. how um mm-hmm. how waiting for that movies uh made me not want to kill myself uh it's a it's a really it's a it's a not fun essay but uh it, it oh, is no. very much um, i'm intrigued yeah yeah <laughs> I, I i think it was a, it's very very real um and that's why you'll read it when it comes out um but I think it's uh, it's very personal. Anyway, uh, I've also, I've got a ton of ideas for stuff that I want to do after I finish this trilogy. Uh, One of them being maybe something a little bit more uh, like young adult focused, like uh, Hmm. children's stories about um, Theodore Roosevelt's Rough Riders uh, fighting cryptids like Wendigos and like all that in the National Park Service
1: that sounds great to be honest (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so like
3: something something that like you know kids would enjoy but also has like action um you know good morals stuff like that so that's that's something that i've been kind of kicking around for a while and i've got a stack of short stories that i've either abandoned or need to rework uh so hopefully i live long enough to uh to get it all out there because i think the ideas are there definitely
1: yeah, you got a real variety of short stories on your substack. I just read the—I've actually read all of them now, which I am pleased to report. Uh, but the—the the, the last one I read was this morning, was your hard-boiled detective one, which I thought was really funny. Yeah, yeah, that one I liked <laughs> a lot. Uh, that yeah. one,
3: I—I I forget why I wrote it in college because somebody was t- like I. I'd I'd watched the Maltese Falcon for the first time. Yeah. And then I oh, started I saw it for the first re- time recently. Yeah. yeah. I started reading uh, the Marlowe books. Um, you know, like The Big Sleep and um, uh, Goodbye, my darling or goodbye, my lovelies. I forget what it's called, but um you know, like definitely that hard boiled detective fiction and like crime noir films. Um, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, um what if uh you know Sam Spade lived in Brooklyn today? <laughs> and what would that be like? <laughs> and, you know, he's, you know, he, he he treats women, you know, the way that, you know, Sam Spade treated women back then. And they're like, you can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. And uh...
1: it's really funny. Um, yeah. You know, so that, Dan, that was Dan, as someone who lives in Brooklyn, you should check it out. <laughs> check it out. I should check yeah, it
2: out. Absolutely. Yeah. Um... Yeah. I know the idea of like a Sam Spade like character in Brooklyn today that i have yeah, yeah yeah
3: and of course hey. you know because i'm me it has you know a a a sour ending <laughs> because because <laughs> nobody can ever have anything nice in my world
1: <laughs> see that was another thing i wanted to comment earlier that reminds me again not speaking for a place of extensive reading in jack london but i'm sure you've at least heard of the story i don't even remember what's called to my head where it's like a warm place to sit or is that a hemingway story am i effing this up like where where someone like built a fire and it caused a snowbank to fall on them.
3: I'm not sure. That sounds.
1: I think it's a jackal. That
2: might story. be a Hemingway. Uh, it could. It could very sounds well like a be Hemingway either story.
1: <laughs> either way, uh, Tr, you've got a couple of stories that kind of have that sort of ending, which is um right dark and, and funny. I mean,
3: <laughs> like so. I don't. Know, I think people get exactly what they deserve, and it's yeah. not. It's it's very much like monkey's paw-like sort of ways. Um,
1: right. Oh, you mean monkey's paw like that horror story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where oh, like, yeah, you know, yeah.
3: you wish for something and you get it, but it's not at all what you thought it would be. Yeah. Um, I've been very fortunate in my right. life in that uh, that hasn't been the case all the time, but it, you know, it happens.
1: Definitely. Um... I did go have a question me. I did have a question for yeah, you guys for
3: right uh, because this yeah. is something that I think about all the time what is your sellout out book because I know you guys have thought about it so what is the book that like you're going to publish under your real name because you won't get cancelled um, that is going to be a New York Times bestseller because it's just schlock mine is Alexander the Great written as like Song of Achilles so he's like super gay huh <laughs> Like it, <laughs> it, would, it would, it would spiritually yeah. pain me to like put that out there, but I know it would like make a lot of money.
2: Okay, this <laughs> this is actually good. This um this is something I've always told people. I would write a musical about the Russian Revolution. <laughs> and, and I mean, you know, like people would love it. And But the thing is, I've told this to, to Libs and, you know, what have you, and they're like, that's a great idea. Okay. And I'm like, I'm never going to do that because I'm never going to spend my time doing right." right like but it's like... But, uh, but yeah, it would like, if I wrote a musical about the Russian Revolution starring like Lenin and like well, Karl Marx doing like numbers and it's, you know, it would... Do gangbusters. Oh, what,
3: you'd be you'd be uh, on on stage longer than <laughs> Cats or whatever
2: the hell is on. Like you'd have you'd
3: be the Lindy effect. <laughs> yeah. the,
2: uh, the 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 Lin Manuel Miranda. Oh god. Of, uh... Yeah, but Matt, what's yours?
1: I'm trying to think of my answer. I may have to get back to you on it. Yeah, sure. Um, I can't. Uh, it's like everything I ever. I feel like what I would. All of my ideas in this vein. It's like something that I would try and that i would like um i would write like for as much of a normie audience as possible but then like i would still be thinking about ways i could kind of between the lines slip in something a little more base which i feel like doesn't necessarily correspond with the um with with the spirit of your question which is like what is actually like like the worst thing possible
3: that you could just churn out and just sell out for yeah
1: yeah I, it'd be like some version of Dragon Day, where it's like even like like where where it's like even gayer or something. Oh, okay. Like where it's yeah, like, like you know that. how that's kind of that is a little bit of a you know a homo-nationalist, shall we right, say? Right, mean? right. It would be like, it would be like that, except rather than being kind of cryptic, it would be like really on the nose, and like uh, it would be this this piece where there would be um you know whatever like thoughtful thoughtful op-eds like this shows like the the homosexual characteristics of fascism right 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 um oh, it would that's, be like that, that's so yeah. i don't i don't know if that's a good i don't know if that is reflects well on me but it would basically be like like stuff that i already write but like <laughs> but purposely but purposely more cringe Sorry. whereas the stuff i write now is like has some kind of weird shit like that on is like an entry point that I do think like a certain and is also great like but like yeah. that <laughs> would that there. would that would be more um I don't know more 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 like a straightforward like appeal to to that audience
3: I did want to ask about Dragon Day because I wrote in my review that Oliver the character of Oliver felt like an afterthought right hmm. not Oliver um uh, who's the other protagonist uh, Charles. Charles, yes. He he felt like kind of like oh, I have some some holes in my story uh, that Toby can't know. So who who can I put? Whose POV can I use to to fill in some of these gaps? Is that accurate
1: or um... Um, not exactly? Definitely not in terms of like their chronology of writing the story. Um, I didn't like throw him in afterward um but the um your criticism i guess or just your observation is is well taken that he is not that fleshed out of a character um that i think is something that you know in a in a future novel maybe i you know would 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 hone my craft more but chronologically not exactly i kind of always knew uh, you know, it's my first novel. Um, I'm not too precious about it, is what I've been saying lately. Like, I, you know, I'm open to criticisms and whatever I write. You know, I, it, I have some distance on it. Um, but what I'll say about it is, like, I wanted to challenge myself not to write in the first person because as mm-hmm. someone who who grew up reading, like, Catcher in the Rye and a lot of those books, And, like, Karaoke, you know, books I still like to accept, but, like, like there's a the temptation just to write, like, oh, I did that. Like, it's kind of, and write this kind of navel gazing mm-hmm. kind of teen into college novel which again it's been a while so like that was the origins of dragon day but i wanted to challenge myself to write in the write in the third person voice um so i feel like the narrative structure with one character who has some kind of inexplicable semi-omniscience and then like a close third like that and i am to an extent Proud that I have a slightly more complicated narrative structure mm-hmm. in the book. No, like, it definitely, but I agree it definitely is. Charles as a character is that. kind of inscrutable.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, um, and I didn't, I didn't mean to, like, you know, come at you or anything like that okay. uh, with the yeah, question. Okay. It was, it was more. I was just curious about it for a while. But I think, I, I think Toby definitely um, is the primary protagonist. Uh, I think his his arc is the most interesting. Uh, him and the professor, but I mean they're also like you know really um they're obviously very intertwined
1: right um yeah no i'm I'm definitely very proud of Wallingford as as a villain um and 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 I think that the toby narrative is like yeah pretty 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 solid. I, I don't think it, I think it's far from a perfect book, and you know, I, again, my line lately has been like, I'm not precious about it. Like, I've just, met
3: just I've talk. met people like Toby, you know, yeah. in real life, and yeah. I think well, that's there's a lot of them, yeah. Uh, and I guess maybe maybe uh, if you guys still have time, we could talk about like craft yeah. and like writing and stuff because sure. that's that's yeah. the thing that I love uh, most of all. Um, what are your the the one thing in the book that in, in Automaton that I wanted to get across. Um, like, this is like my, my metric for success is the dialogue. Does the dialogue sound like one people actually talk like this Two, It sounds like multiple people talking and not just the same voice back and forth with itself. I I think so. Yeah. I think I did that. (laughs) Um, and you know, I, I've I've gotten praise, like basically ever since I started writing. It's like, oh wow, your dialogue is really good. Oh, no, um, definitely. Yeah, it was solid. And I know, I, mean, like, I, I know yeah, a lot of people don't, don't like dialogue. Um, you know, I can respect that. I personally think that it's the best way to convey characterization.
1: Right. But it is. yeah.
3: But you know, I mean, like, I, I understand. Some, it's it's not everybody's thing, so. Better make you it know I,
1: I like dialogue a lot too and i mean i could put the question back at you like what do you think of the dialogue in dragon day I, but i could also just say that i hope you liked it and other people have said that i write good dialogue and yeah I, no i think I, it's important yeah i think
3: yeah. i think that especially the power dynamics uh implicit in your dialogue is really good because it's oh, obvious you. that that wallingford um <laughs> Yeah. has these aspirations and that toby is like a pawn to him
1: yeah no and, and
3: there's there's a there's a good amount of dramatic irony there because you know the reader knows that toby has no fucking idea
1: yeah 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 no i think dialogue is important as you say it's one of the best ways to convey <laughs> characterization and the dialogue is like one of the, one of many things in art and in life where it's like you don't want to notice it Mm-hmm. Like, if you write, like, good dialogue doesn't necessarily read as, like, oh, well, this is good dialogue. It just reads as, like, natural part but, of the like, conversation But, like, conversation, is What bad stands out is bad yeah. dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Know, it's and it's propulsive. Yeah. You read dialogue and it just, you know, it sails you along. And that's, like, I think a lot of people find it's the good part of the book. You get to the dialogue and it's, you know, it's, like, two people going back and forth and uh yeah if it's bad you notice it if it's good you're just like racing along. right right
3: and then you know you have your tarantinos where it's like oh wow they're not actually talking about anything but it's somehow saying everything i right. think i think that's that's at least not what i've what i tried to do but it's definitely like a huge influence in how i write dialogue
1: for sure yeah
2: yeah and a great opportunity as you said for dramatic irony so like if a lot is going on in a character's head and you know what's in the character's head and he says something that is the opposite or that you know doesn't reveal what his true intentions are then like you are kind of like in a pact with the character totally and with the yeah and so it draws the reader in totally and i mean like
3: it's hard also so like when writing I don't know. It, maybe just dialogue is just the easiest thing for me because some of the places that I write about, I had not been to. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult to write about a place you've never been. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of, oh, there's dirt. And you know, the, I've, I've been on a road before, so I know what it looks like when it looks like shit and it hasn't been um, maintained and it's really bumpy. Uh, I know what wildflowers look like. So I kind of put that in there, but I'm not sure, like, like, ask me what the Ohio border looks like between Ohio and Pennsylvania, and I wouldn't be able to tell you. I, I Google mapped it, you know. <laughs> I tried to do my ba- I worked for well, we that. do have
1: that at our fingertips now, which is kind of yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh,
3: uh, a mentor. Also,
1: as someone who does know what the Ohio-Pennsylvania border looks like, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not the most spectacular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh,
3: but a, me- a mentor of mine had told me of a book like the the a standard for travel writing to a place that you've never been is this guy i i completely forget uh who it was and where he was writing about but the people that he was writing about read his book thought it was so great and so true to life that they invited him there and like made him an honorary member of their tribe and like that's oh, wow. the a oh, wow. standard of yeah. trying to figure out a place and the people that live there
1: for sure mm-hmm.
3: I'll have to I'll have to look it up and maybe even email the guy and ask him what he was talking about. And I'll I'll yeah, let you know.
1: Yeah, no, I'm curious. Yeah.
3: Uh oh, by the way, Dan, where's your substack? Where are your short stories, man? Come on, I'm I'm waiting for Nutcranker, and you got to give <laughs> me something. Put a chapter so, out there. Jeez.
2: Yeah, no, it. Um, I'm talking with um, a couple of publishers, so I don't want to put something out right. there okay, too cool. soon. Right. Okay. But, um, yeah, depending, I may go ahead and publish it myself, as I mentioned to you offline, and in which case, I'm going to be hitting you up for uh, tips yeah, de- and definitely. tricks for I'll, yeah. getting this, uh, getting Nuckrinkr out. Yeah, I'll, yeah I'll I'll help help out i guess we can break on
3: sorry. Yeah, I'll help however I can, man. I don't really, I mean, like, I just kind of put it on Amazon, and it, there's not really much to do, um, except get good art. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, Amazon, you know, it's similar to Deluge in your novel, which is perhaps ironic. And I don't want to say too much positive about Amazon, but it does seem like their publishing service is pretty fucking straightforward, which is nice.
3: Yep, yep. I i, I fully realize the irony of what I'm writing about and who I'm writing it through. <laughs> uh what <do> you to
1: really <laughs> do? We're all on Twitter anyway, which is Yeah. Not as bad of a company as Amazon, but you know, it's big tech.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh Ted kaczynski what's your handle?
2: That guy's going to die soon. Yeah, Matt Matt and I were talking about how um, this, you know, new kind of literary movement on our corner of Twitter, our corner of the internet is, um, you know, increasingly a Mm self-published one. And that, um, you know, that may be the way of uh, the future for a lot of up-and-coming writers. I think so.
3: i just like so like I wanted to publish through like terror house or something like that, but actually like their submissions were closed. Right. Um, you know, yeah. a, a, um, mm-hmm. a evidence of their success is like, well, we got to turn people away cause we're just, we're putting out too many good books like, uh, like dragon day and welcome mm-hmm. to hell and Pat Kilgore's, um, collection of poetry Yeah, uh, is also really good. I recommend that to people, but I, I was just tired of waiting uh, I get very, I get yeah. very impatient. Um, I probably should have waited a little longer and done some more editing. Uh, there's definitely stuff in there that could be cleaned up, but
1: I didn't notice that, by the way. I oh, know so sometimes be like a comment, like, "Oh, there's typos," but I, I didn't notice it. But uh, like as Alex Jones says, sometimes was, like I'm kind of retarded. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't. I, I make spelling errors. I actually I. I, I, I thought your book was called Automation because like I'm like I, I don't know dyslexic or something. <laughs> I was like, oh, it says automaton like halfway through. So I, I don't, I'm not, the, I'm not like the poster child for noticing these things, but I did not notice any. any
3: Fantastic. Well, that, I mean that that makes me yeah. feel good. Um. Um.
1: But uh, no. But on on that note, like I totally get the impatience. Not impatience. I totally get not wanting to wait because like I. Um, you know, when I when I published *Diary* with Terror House, like I waited like a year after submitting it. Like, there's an urge just to get it out. Mm-hmm. And I think that stuff I publish in, the, I think these small presses are great. It's a great way to get your name out there. And actually, even more so than that, I think it's a great way to build community. Totally. Like, maybe the most important thing. There's like a lot of people I never would have met if it weren't for Terror House, uh, and I never would have read like Billy Pratt. But also, like I think past a certain point as a writer, like you want your writing to be an extension of your tweeting and your Substack, you know what I mean? Like it's something that you want to be able to just get out there and it's always good to have editors, but like, I think the urge to just self publish is like pretty
3: understandable. Right. right. Yeah. And I mean, like I, I, I dispensed with my delusions of grandeur long ago. So like, I know I'm not going to be like world famous. Oh my God. That, uh, he wrote that book. But the fact that I can just have it out there and now it's out on the internet forever and maybe in 100 years, somebody right. reads it and enjoys it. I think that would oh, be really you cool. you never
1: know. Like, I, I really do think, and this isn't, like, tuning my own horn because Dragon Day is just one tiny piece of a broader thing going on, that the stuff that we publish on our corner of the internet, like, is... It's where the energy is. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe there's some other interesting, like, literary subcultures in the world. And it doesn't all have to be political. And obviously, a lot of our stuff is kind of political. But, like, we have a real counterculture going which is cool
3: yeah i think yeah i i agree and i think the next the next it's funny you guys had um last things on talking about david foster wallace Hmm. um and you were talking about how he was like the last great uh like writer of the western canon i think right or like like, like,
1: on paper not necessarily that's our opinion but like he's the last like he's the last like person of that stature. there's no
3: there there hasn't been anybody else out there like that and i think I, I would not be surprised in fact i'd probably put money on it that this section of twitter like this this uh this place because it's so free and because you can be as transgressive as you want it's going to come from here
1: and yeah, hopefully I mean, they're no a guest on who... new right <laughs> Who's gonna? Yeah, what, what was that?
3: Hopefully, they're a guest on New Right.
1: I I sincerely hope so. And maybe it's UTR. But you know, it's like how who's gonna read it? Who's gonna promote it? Who's gonna censor it? Like, there's all these barriers of issue. Like, I don't know if there will be someone who's regarded in that Western canon, anyway. But like, in principle, I definitely agree. And like, yeah, to bring it back around a little bit think... and to tie it in with Automaton and, and and some of the themes you're talking about, like, yeah, it does. There, it does have to come from that place of freedom. Uh, you know that that new horizon, that wild, the, you know the wilds. So I could
3: say. see, I could see Mike Ma, um, yeah, his his work being that. Um, I think it's pretty good, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, man, uh, I'm I'm really excited to see what what else this community puts forward. Especially, you know, Patch's Prize was something that everybody seemed to be putting energy towards. I think we're gonna get some really good stuff out of it.
1: I think so too, and just more stuff oh, yeah, like Passion's Prize to kind of bring people together and get people writing, get people reading, um, is going to be good for kind of cultivating, again, building the culture, shall we say.
2: Yeah, you got to build the structure, you got you to get people writing, so, you know. The more we do it, the better work we produce, and eventually, you know, thousand thousand monkeys pieces. in a
3: room with typewriters,
2: <laughs> yeah. a thousand frogs. Oh yeah, there
3: Is we that, go. Yeah, a thousand frogs. Yeah, that'll be the title of the episode. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that should be. <laughs> yeah, that should be.
1: <laughs> there
2: you go. You guys
0: can
3: have that one for free.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, um, we are kind of hitting that two-hour mark. Yeah, um, yeah. We this has so, been awesome. Yeah, but it's my been a great. French kill me. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. I guess uh, if the, if you have any uh, closing comments, Tr. I mean, obviously we will pitch it again, buy automaton, It's on Amazon. Uh, but anything else you want to say, Tr? Anything from our? You're a you're a New Right fan, so anything from our past episodes? Uh, know, any other questions we, I, about our comments?
3: We could probably do a whole other episode. Yeah. And uh, we should, uh, by the, the way. Her, yeah, I would, yeah, yeah, I would love to. Yeah. Uh, but just just. Yeah. Um, you know, telling you guys where you were wrong in your past episodes, correcting me. <laughs> kidding. But uh, deep dive into new rights. Very uh I'm a, I'm a big fan of you guys. I think this is I, I wrote a tweet earlier in the year, um, or you know, like like a month ago, that this is gonna be this podcast is gonna blow up <clears throat> this year. I, I really do think that. Yeah. And,
1: um, it'd be faster if we were like attractive women, but you know, yeah, well, I am well, you know, yeah.
3: I mean, you know, Dan's fetching, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Too, um, man. yeah, I just want to say, uh, check out my sub stack, uh, buy the book. If you don't want to buy it, uh, I put it out on Kindle Unlimited. So if you have that service, you can read it without buying it. And, um, I just want it out there. Uh, So if it ends up, you know, on, like, Library Genesis, I wouldn't be mad. (laughs) Um, And my DMs are open if anybody ever wants to talk about uh, the books or uh, literature in general. Or if you are a writer and you want something out there, I seem to have a pulse so I can, you know, read it, tell you what I think, and and try and get some eyes on it
1: amazing awesome. and yeah you know likewise for us as i think most of our cool. listeners know um dan and i are here to help boost as well and um maybe you like tr can come on our show uh but this has been a really great chat guys and i um, excited to get this one up but i think with that we can wrap
3: all right you guys have a good one good having you on TR. Yeah, thank take you. care